Success is about more than just business strategies. It's also about aligning with your higher purpose and clearing inner obstacles that stand in the way. I say this because you deserve to do what you love and to feel fulfilled along the way. And the reality is you're likely spending more time than you'd like to stuck in self-doubt. You may be asking yourself things like, why do I never seem to reach my biggest goals no matter how hard I work? Or why do I never quite feel like I've done enough, have enough, or am enough? If any of these sound familiar, you are not alone, and I've been there too. The good news is that the solution is simpler than you think. I'm sharing it inside my new four-day women's immersion, The Inner Critic Cure. This live four-day event includes daily classes, potent practices, and a brilliant, supportive community of like-minded women. And best of all, it's only $37. This method is gentle yet powerful, and it actually works even when others haven't because it's based on a proven psychotherapeutic framework called Internal Family Systems, or IFS. By the time you leave, you'll have the knowledge and tools to not only heal your relationship with those harsh inner voices, but to turn them into your strongest allies, now and for the rest of your life. So join us to discover how to put an end to those negative voices that have held you back from your biggest dreams and desires so you can live into the full potential you know is possible for you in both your business and in your life. You can learn more and join us inside the Inner Critic Cure at programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. That's programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. I'd love to see you there. Hello, sisters. Welcome to She Talks. I'm Sarah Avon Stover, a yoga and meditation teacher, best-selling author, and founder of The Way the Happy Woman. I'm so happy to share that my brand new book, The Book of She, Your Heroine's Journey into the Heart of Feminine Power, is now available wherever books are sold and at thebookofshe.com. To celebrate her arrival throughout the months of October and November, I'll be featuring a special series called She Stories where we hear the heroine's journeys of 14 inspiring female leaders. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Hello, beautiful women. Welcome home, and welcome to She Talks. Today, I'm speaking with Nisha Moodley, and Nisha is a women's leadership coach, the creator of a few really great programs, Fierce, Fabulous, Free, Global Sisterhood Day, which happens every year on March 21st, and the Freedom Mastermind. She serves ambitious women in redesigning their lives and businesses so that they're aligned with their hearts. Nisha, I'm really looking forward to talking with you today and hearing your voice and perspective about the heroine's journey. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It's such a pleasure and honor to be here. And um, as I mentioned before we started recording, uh, I I just feel so um, grateful for your work in the world and um, really heartwarmed by um, what you've been creating with Bodoshi. So thank you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm receiving that. (laughs) Mm. 
And Nisha, we always begin our gatherings here at The Way the Happy Woman with a personal check-in. So I know you just shared something personal, but so women can kind of locate you in space and time. Can you let us know where you're calling from today and just what's alive for you in your inner landscape as you're settling in for this interview? Yeah. Well, um, I just got off a call with my mastermind women, which was really beautiful. And so I got to connect with their hearts. So I'm feeling totally uh, steeped in the sisterhood space, which is one of my favorite spaces to play in. And so that feels really great. And um, it's early evening. I'm in East Hampton, New York, um, which is just a beautiful place to be. uh, my home is in San Francisco. My primary home is in San Francisco, but I'm here for one more day and um, just enjoying that this is the last uh, appointment of the day. Mm. But to be able to have this conversation with you, it feels like a really sweet way to cap off a day, cap off the day. And Nisha, you mentioned sisterhood, and I know that is a passion that we both have. And I'm wondering, what did this, grow out of how how did you get so passionate about sisterhood to the point of creating this global sisterhood day yeah so um i'm as you mentioned a coach and when i started my coaching practice in 2007 i um, was working with clients one-on-one and i as new coaches often do i was like i'll work with anybody (laughs) Men, women, children, you know, whatever your issue is, I'll figure out how to solve it. <laughs> and, um, and I, but life just kept sending me women. And, um, and it was great. I've always been kind of a woman's woman, meaning I've always had lots of girlfriends and, you know, felt really easy in relationships with women. Um, I've had to do much more work in growing my relationships with men in my life. Um, so I started, I was working with women and one-on-one and my business got to a place where I started to feel like, okay, I can't take more one-on-one clients. And there was also seemed to be a desire from many people to do something that was more affordable for them or, um, more in reach for them. And so I started putting together group programs and again, like, I'll work with anyone, men, women, and I kept getting sent women. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to start working with groups of women. Let's see what happens here. And so I started leading these group programs with women, and I was really amazed at the kind of transformation that would happen in the groups. And I was noticing that for maybe all of the women in these groups, they were, they seemed to be having, um, a faster and deeper transformation of old patterns and um, old beliefs and, um, you know, things that had been sort of plaguing them for, for a long time. It was sort of happening deeper and faster, this transformation, in the groups than in many ways than it was happening in my one-on-one coaching. And I was so, I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, what is this all about? And my first... Um, inclination was to just assume that it was accountability. And I really realized that that wasn't about accountability. I didn't have particularly accountability oriented coaching anyway. You know, it wasn't about like, here are the three things you need to do and you're going to check in with me every day and make sure you've done them. It wasn't quite that flavor. 
And I realized what was what it was is that these women and I was um, specializing in working around emotional eating. And so these women were talking about things in their lives that they felt uh, in their lives and about themselves that they felt a lot of shame around. And then that shame was landing in a space of total love and acceptance and understanding. And they were saying these things out loud that often they hadn't told anyone. And they were just getting loved in return. And I realized what was happening just in the simple fact that we were in a group and that it happened to be a group of women, um, there was healing that was happening. And so the growth and transformation wasn't about accountability or that they were getting more tools or different tools than my one-on-one clients. It was that they were sharing shame and desires and like deep vulnerabilities and and being loved and celebrated in return. And it was creating this incredible healing. And um, at the same time, I, in my personal life, was um, really struggling in my marriage. And I feel so grateful for the friends of mine that I had at that time who would not accept my kind of weather reports about my marriage, mm-hmm. where they'd be like, what's going on? And I'm like, well, you know, marriage is tough, but we're working on it. And I had those few friends who courageously, you know, grabbed my hand and took me into the, the deep waters and were like, yeah, yeah, okay, what's really going on? And, um, and as I shared with them the things that I felt really embarrassed about and, um, you know, that I didn't want them to know about my life and my marriage and, you know, my secret desires and my fears, I was experiencing the same kind of healing that my clients were experiencing. So I just started to get really sold on the power of um, sisterhood, the power of loving, supportive community to help facilitate deep healing in a person and really help to deliver them into a greater state of freedom, intrinsic freedom. And, um, And so I just started doing everything that way. I started running group programs and retreats and just everything I've done since has been in the space of community or almost everything I've done since has been in the space of community. And that kind of led up to 2015, um, I guess 2014, where I woke up one day and I was like, Global Sisterhood Day, we need to have a day. And I had no idea what I was doing, um, which is great because if I had known, I probably wouldn't have done it. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? (laughs) It was just a calling. You know, it's like one of those things where um, people are like, how did you decide to do it? I was like, no, I, <laughs> I just decided not to not do it. <laughs> um, but the decision was made for me. I was, you know, handed it. It was just a calling and I just had to surrender to it. Um, so the truth was really surrender more than yeah. instructing something. But that's how sisterhood came to be color life. And the heroine's journey is, I feel that it's really something that happens both in sisterhood and in solitude, mm-hmm. but that even when we're in solitude, we feel the support of the sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, um, I, I had this moment, um, I think last year in Costa Rica before sisterhood day so at some point. And I was like, ooh, you know, what does it mean to sister, the verb, you know, um, and what is sistering? And so thinking that maybe I had made up a new term, I was really excited and I got online and I Googled sistering. 
And it turns out there is a thing called sistering in the mm-hmm. dictionary. And I discovered that it is a construction term. And um, so in construction, like building construction, sisters are um, like supporting components, uh, foundational components, like foundational beams, for example, in a building. And sistering is when you put one foundational component, so let's say one beam alongside another beam to reinforce it for support. So literally, like I'm sitting in a house right now, this house, the structure of this house is sisters and the act of sistering, which is the reinforcement of each of these supportive beams. I was like, wow, that's actually how I experience a sisterhood, that I can be in my own, you know, sometimes, you know, blissful, sometimes flailing journey with my journey. And I can be in my journey and it's me in it. And I might feel incredibly alone in my experience or in my moment and I know that I'm held by this greater web um, and not just the web of my girlfriend you know my close friends or my kind of peripheral friends but in the fact that you know there are all the women who have come before me and all the women who will come after me you know that we we carry all of this together and so held in the web of you know, my intimate sisterhood of my close, close sisters and friends, but also in the greater web of sisterhood. Um, so I so, I so resonate with what you, what you said there. Mm. Mm. And I find that also these, these circles of women, both when I've been a participant in them and, and also leading them, it's, it's just an affirmation that we're not strange, we're not flawed, that just to hear another woman to share about her struggles with her sex life or her body or her money or her confidence, there's such a sense of reassurance that, oh my gosh, I that's what I'm feeling too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes. And I think often uh, in also the, the healing of the, you know, the comparison and the competition that we can so easily come into. And it's not ours alone. You know, we've, it's, that has all been forged in a society that is perfectly architected to have us be in comparison. And yeah. And it's really the dark side of the feminine. It's <sighs> absolutely. And I, and I can't, I can't overstate how many times I've heard women share something that they feel so ashamed about. And um, you know, have some another sister say, I can totally relate and then have another woman share an experience that might be completely different. You know, like one woman's like, I've always struggled, you know, with my weight. I've always been in a battle with my body. And, you know, I was called fat and this and that as a child. And then another woman who would say, you know, I've I've always been the skinny girl, you know, and I've always felt this about that. And all of a sudden in the difference, there's like a um, like a mutual love and respect and sort of healing of the way that we see ourselves as different to realize that we're not actually that different. Like we might have experiences that look really different on the outside and the ache in our heart, it's, they're not that different. Anisha, you, you mentioned your, your marriage and mm-hmm. I'm wondering, is usually there are many different kind of upheavals in our lives, 
a few big ones over the course of our lives that really quicken the heroine's journey and more intensely sculpt us into who we're becoming. Would you say that that, that marriage was, was a big one of those for you, or is there another one that you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, I, you know, I really resonated with um, the beginning of what you shared in, in the book of She around your um, breakup story. And I would say that one of the largest events, at least in, you know, the recent history of my life was um, my divorce was a big one. And I would say that uh, the punctuation was actually the separation of a relationship that I had after the divorce. And so for me, um, what it was, was that I could, I could, you know, because perhaps my parents were divorced because, you know, I lived in like, you know, Vancouver and then New York City, like I lived in metropolitan areas. The idea of getting divorced for me, it didn't hold a lot of shame around it. So I could reconcile that I, that I was a woman who had gotten divorced. Like I could, I could, I could make space for that in my identity, um, but right after I separated from my my husband, I fell in love again and got into this really beautiful, deep relationship. And, you know, we struggled along and struggled along. And um, about a year in or so, he broke up with me. And that, for me, was, it, it compounded whatever, first of all, it compounded whatever pain I was holding on to from the divorce that maybe wasn't fully healed and also... Um, and it, it just rushed to the surface. It was like the floodgates burst open, like the dam broke. And I had no space in my identity for being a, whatever I was at the time, a 34-year-old woman who was divorced and had a failed relationship. Mm. Like I had no space in my identity for it at all. And I was crushed. And it brought up all of my deepest um, fears that I'd, I think I didn't, I didn't even know were there. Like I didn't even know that what was running in my psyche was this um, validation via relationship thing. Like you are making me whole because you choose me. And if you don't choose me, what does that say about me? And I actually lose my wholeness if I lose you, my sense of wholeness if I lose you. And, you know, of course, like the, the stronger, the more we need the initiation, perhaps, or the more ready we are for the initiation, the more powerful the dose of medicine is that we'll mm -hmm. get. And so, you know, not only was it, you know, a marriage that ended and then this relationship that ended kind of like on the heels of that, um, it was also a, a partner who I, um, really respected and really admired and really in many ways held on a pedestal. So I had him, of course we had to, it, of course our relationship had to rupture. I had him as better than me. You know, I had it as like, how did I get so lucky, you know, to have um, snagged this guy? You know, it, it, this wasn't sort of front of mind, but I think running beneath the surface was some narrative that went something along the lines of, um, wow, if he found out who I really was, I wonder if he would really choose me. Um, so of course he didn't choose me at a certain point and I had to 
learn to choose myself, which sounds trite, you know, but it's so true. And that holy shit is, was no small feat, has been no small feat. You know, it's like I'm still in choosing myself and discovering what that means every day. Um, and I think it's one of the greatest gifts that I've ever had in my life was that breakup. And, and, um, and for the first time, really allowing myself because I actually felt I didn't feel resourced to do anything else, A, and B, um, I knew that I had to take my own medicine. And so to really allow myself to put myself in the lap of my girlfriends, in the laps of my girlfriends, and to um, surrender to that I didn't know how to get out of the excruciating pain that I was and um, that I didn't know how to feel whole if I didn't feel chosen by someone else who I was driving such a great sense of personal validation from being with. And, um, you know, I really feel like that's been one of the greatest <laughs> um, quicksand experiences of my, um, of my own journey. So, Nisha, I know you mentioned that you drew on the support of sisterhood during this time, but what were some other resources that helped you to choose yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, there's an important aspect about leaning on my sisters um, during that time, which was that um, I realized my, my initial inclination was actually to pull back and to kind of isolate a little bit and um, nurse my wounds on my own and realize that it was actually mainly coming from not wanting to be a burden and not wanting to be a broken record and, um, you know, feeling like they have their own lives and, you know, this one's pregnant, that one's busy, you know, this one has her own stuff going on. And really realizing that if I am a stand for sisterhood, which I said I was, um, that it was going to require me not to just be the lap, but also to be the one on the lap at times. And so, you know, I say this because it wasn't just, you know, reluctantly leaning on my sisters. It was actually standing up and saying, I really need your support right now. Can I come and lean on you without any expectation? You know, somebody might say, actually, you can't right now. I don't have the bandwidth. And I'd be like, okay, great. I love you. I know you love me. I'll find another lap. And, um, so really surrendering into receiving their love was so healing. And it really, I felt, I feel that it was such a key to me navigating. Um, and the other thing was just not, I really found that in that experience, um, I was able to not make myself, there are two other pieces I would say, aside from sisterhood that, that are coming to me now, <clears throat> just not making it wrong that I was devastated. Um, helped me really navigate the highs and lows. Like I remember those few days after breaking up, I would like sob on the floor, you know, like my eyes were so puffy and I'd be just bawling my eyes out. And, and rather than going into any sort of like suck it up, like you have stuff to do, you know, any of that sort of like military commander thing, I was really gentle with myself and really patient with myself and sort of, um, you know, bringing on the inner mother, you know, the inner mama to just let the little girl in me who was really heartbroken just be heartbroken and sad. And I felt myself sort of 
holding myself in those moments and just allowing all the pain to be there. And the the thing that I guess might seem counterintuitive to some people is that allowing the pain to fully be there helped me feel less pain. Like allowing the suffering helped alleviate the suffering. And um, and I would say the other thing was just being really foundational about what I needed. Like I needed food. I needed shelter. I needed warm cup of tea. I needed, you know, to be outside in the sun. I needed to breathe the fresh air and just giving myself the basic care of nourishing food, the basic, like I hauled, it was like one of the first things I did was haul myself with big sunglasses on and like a total giant red swollen snotty nose to the grocery store to buy super healthy food and flowers and all the supplies that I would need to feel cozy. And, you know, I just made soup, threw myself on the floor, cried, got up, ate soup, cried on the floor, got up, cried on a girlfriend's lap, got up, typed a blog post, cried on the floor, ate more soup. You know, it was just basic, like taking care of myself the way that if I were a mother, I would want to take care of a really sad child. And um, I feel like that spaciousness and love and patience with the process really serves me in actually getting the gold at the heart of this um, really dark cloud in my life. I love that you mentioned that, like, kind of breaking your own psyche into mother-child, because that's exactly what I had to learn to do in that that crisis, the breakup that you mentioned opened my book. And I think that that's not something that we talk about enough as women, because we never learned to do that. And I think it's something that we as women don't acknowledge enough of how central that inner relationship is between inner mother and inner little girl. Mm-hmm. And what are what are some ways that, I mean, I think that this is key to choosing ourself. For, like, for me, each day, it's, it's checking in with that younger part of myself mm-hmm. and seeing what she needs because she's our vulnerability. So what does that look like for you now on a daily basis now that it's some years later, after the divorce, after the breakup, what does choosing yourself look like on a just on an average day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, you know, I think that there's a meta frame that I hold that all parts are welcome. You know, all parts of me are welcome. There, there's no sort of um, you know voice inside of me that isn't welcome here. And the more I sort of, I'm like, oh, welcome, pull up a chair at the table, I'll make you a bowl of soup, you know, and just hear actually what's being said there, which can be really scary because, um, you know, a lot of that is stuff that I don't want to hear, you know, and I think in many ways, the sort of hero's journey is mapped around not listening maybe to those, or at least how I experienced as a child, it was like, Soldier on, you know, um, and none of that's going to help you. So shut it down. I kind of like enslave the demons rather than love them. Slay the demons. And I was like, wow, okay, these demons. As soon as I started to see all of the um, 
the voices of fear and dissent and all of it as um, just terrified little girls. You know, just a three-year-old and a five-year-old and an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old inside who were desperately trying anything to save me from whatever fate they were terrified was going to befall me. And if that meant that they had to say, you're never going to be good enough, don't even try, be quiet, you're just going to embarrass yourself if you open your mouth. Like that actually wasn't coming from um, uh, some sort of like inner monster, a part of me that hated me, a part of me that wanted to sabotage me. It was coming from a part of me that loves me so much um, and is frozen in this belief that if we do this thing or say this thing or be ourselves or be fully here, that um, that we're, we're going to die. <laughs> Some part of us has to die if, if that happens. And so, yeah, I really feel that um, just a meta frame that all parts are welcome um, means that when some emotion comes up that I think in the past I might have been inclined to be like, God, I'm feeling a little melancholy today. What's wrong with me? You know, like, oh, I hate this. It must be, oh, it must be because I'm PMSing. Oh, it must be because, you know, I had a bad dream last night. Like, but I need a diagnosis and then moreover, I need to fix this melancholy or I need to fix this frustration or I need to fix this anger. It's, something wrong and I can't soldier on if I have this monkey on my back. But instead going, oh, I'm, wow, I'm experiencing frustration. Like what's, let me just be with that and notice where it's coming from in me and just listen. What I noticed is every time those little children who, you know, they were making big shadows, but they were just little kids, you know, kind of when I let them out of the basement and put them around the table and gave them a bowl of soup and said, okay, talk to me what's really going on um, and sort of just embraced all of the parts of myself. And as I've done this over and over every day and sometimes failing at embracing all of me and sometimes, you know, really feeling that deep inner embrace, um, I just found myself feeling much more able to be with all of my emotions and notice that, you know, sometimes, though, the emotions that are coming up that feel inconvenient are helping to reshape my next steps um, in a really beautiful way. Like, they're helping me stand in greater alignment. Um, they're helping me love with a more open heart, you know, um, that those things that I think the emotions in, that in the past would I would just have really written off as inconvenient and to be slayed, dragons to be slayed. I'm like, wow, you are my greatest allies. You are, you are showing me where to put the, my next steps in the darkness where I don't know where to go next. And you're going right here, this step, you know, um, just by having a deeper embrace of all of it. It sounds so esoteric to say, but um, it's made such a difference to just hold that meta frame that all parts um, are welcome here. Yeah, all parts and we each need to really experience that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's easy to embrace the parts that we like, you know. You know, it's um, – and but that's like saying in a family of five children – 
only the ones who do well in school and are exceptionally talented have a place here. The rest of you get to go live in the basement. You know, the, this, the scared one who pees her bed, you go in the basement. You know, the one who has a hard time learning or feels socially awkward, like you go in the basement and like just locking all the parts in the basement that we don't like. Um, yeah, um, I think that's the way that most of us do things. Like take all the shameful bits and shove them in the dark. And in addition to more self-acceptance, which I know is a lifelong journey for all of us, what are some other have openings that this crisis, this breakdown, breakthrough, brought you to be the woman that you are here today talking to us? Hmm. Um, yeah, there are a couple of things that I that I actually pulled out of um, your book that really spoke to me, that actually are speaking to me as you're asking this very question. Um, and um, one thing you wrote was, she won't let you fall asleep to the song of your soul. She won't let you fall asleep to the song of your soul. I was like, ugh. And so I think that, um, you know, another really deep piece for me that came out of that trial and, you know, all of the trials since is the recognition that there's no shortcut. You know, if I'm walking, you know, on a spiral staircase into the darkness, through the light, through the darkness, through the light, um, you know, down, down, down into the depths, there's no shortcut. And... Um, just embracing the beauty of that. Like, there's no shortcut. How beautiful that there's no shortcut. Like, I, I've, I think I've let go of the illusion that there's some linear, linear unicorn ride into, like, eternal happiness. You know, I, I really just let go of, of looking for my, my unicorn to happiness. And, I, for me, happiness is no longer the goal. It's like I actually want to be here. I want to be with all of it. I, and I think that a turning point for me was recognizing that if I couldn't be with pain, with sadness, with heartbreak within myself, then I couldn't be with it in the world. So that means if I have children, I won't be able to hold them in that. It means if I walk by someone on the street who's in deep pain, I can't let myself meet them. Like I can't let myself just be with them because I can't be with that. I can only be with happiness. Um, And as soon as I recognized that I had been architecting my life around something that um, A, I wasn't designed for, (laughs) and B, actually doesn't give me what I want. Um, I feel like I, I let go of that and recognize there's no shortcut. That's not, A, that's not what I want, and B, there's no shortcut. And as you said and so beautifully, she won't let you fall asleep to the song of your soul. There is no shortcut. So um, I'm so meandering that I don't even know if I answered your question. But uh, I'm really, like, that's been such a I hear you. I hear you. And Nisha, what currently feels like your growing edge since the spiral staircase is always kind of going up or down? 
Mm. Where where are you headed on your heroine's journey right now? Um, there are probably, it probably feel, occurs as two things, and I will discover that it's one thing. <laughs> it's all one thing. Um, but I'll say what, the, what what is occurring right now is two things. Um, one is just, um, you know, as I grow simultaneously my business, you know, and because it's a business, you know, there's all this stuff that involves finances and, you know, obviously it's rooted in service and I feel very connected to that root of service, um, but it's a business. And and also I have a desire for to build a foundation um, that will hold Global Sisterhood Day and other projects that I want to work on, um, you know, with girls. The first project is around um, working with girls in high school, high school age girls. And as I sort of start straddling those two roles and growing all of that into the vision that I see, um, I really feel like I'm on a growing edge around um, embracing that, I uh, making space for that, you know? Like where do I have like some sort of, um, where am I holding on to an identity that doesn't make space for that? basically, and, um, you know, how can I uh, disidentify with, let go of whatever it is that's, um, like, alchemize whatever it is that has me feeling like that's not possible for myself or the world or, like, whatever it, whatever the stories and beliefs are. Like, I really feel like I'm at a growing edge if I notice when I look at that vision, there's still a big part of me that, like, kind of backs away and folds her arms a little bit, like, but how? Like show me how, and then I'll and then I'll believe it. Um, so that feels like a really big growing edge for me. Um, and and the other one is, and again they're surely connected, um, is just navigating pace with a partner. So the person who I had the breakup with that was the big rupture of the dam that has given me all of these incredible gifts. Um, we're together again. Um, you know, we sort of had to navigate these deep journeys separately, um, but really still with deep love for one another and came back together and so we've been together for some time now. And my growth edge is when I say navigating pace with a partner, what that means for me is um, I have historically, when I met with someone else's strong desire, regardless of what it is, like I want to eat Chinese food for dinner or you know, I don't want to have children or I want this experience or I want that experience. When I met with like a clear, strong desire, historically, I have often um, been not been able to locate mine. So it's like the clearest, strongest desire takes up all the space for me and then that mine is mislocated. And so I go like, oh, okay, yours sounds good. I want you to have that. So I guess I'll just make my desire whatever yours is. Um, and I've been noticing that for several years now and sort of unraveling that. Um, and now it's sort of around pace. So how do I be with, you know, what my partner's pace is around things and what his desires are and hold it all as um, right and okay and valid and at the same time not abandon 
my desires when we aren't perfectly matched in our paces. And um, so that could be little things like recognizing, actually, my body wants to go to bed now, even though your body doesn't want to go to bed now, or you don't want to go to bed now. And how can I not make you wrong and honor my, my body's need to go to bed now, but also honor, hey, I actually have a desire for us to go to bed at the same time. You know, that, mm-hmm. it's a seemingly little thing, but you could kind of expand that into many other sort of, quote, unquote, bigger life things as well. And so navigating that space and, um, yeah, yeah, those are the, the big growing edges that I'm present to right now. It sounds really rich, and I know just going back to how we started this call about how in sisterhood we were like mirrors for each other. We can see, oh, yeah, that that's happening for me too, or I I remember when it felt like that, and I'm just feeling resonance as I'm hearing you share that. So thank you so much for for your wisdom, for your willingness to share your struggles, and to share the tools that have helped you through those struggles to become the woman that you are now and to become the leader that you are for other women. So it's been an honor to have you, Nisha. Mm, Thank you so much. It's been such an honor to be here and so grateful for this dialogue. And as I shared, so grateful for the work that you're doing as well and your um, willingness to surrender to the call. Thank you. If you're ready to go deeper into your heroine's journey, I invite you to explore my new book, The Book of She. You can visit thebookofshe.com to register your receipt for this order before October 30th. And when you do, you'll receive an invitation to join me and our community in a free online women's yoga and meditation class, as well as a live Q&A. Until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support. Thank you so much for being part of our sisterhood.